with a whip. So imagine that's you. You're being beaten with a stick or beaten with a, a whip. There were three levels of, levels of flogging. There was bad, better, and horrific. So we believe this one was just the bad one. Later will come the horrific one. We believe this was just the bad one. Pilate was hoping if I just give him the bad flogging, it would have broken a lot of blood vessels. He'd be very black and blue and bruised all over and bleeding in some places. Maybe if I just flog him good with the bad one, that'll satisfy their bloodthirst, satisfy their hunger, and maybe it'll be over and I don't have to kill this man. Jesus endured that flogging for his people, for you, if you're one of his blood-bought children. There's an old song he could have called 10,000 Angels. You know that song? I'm not going to sing it for you. He, he could have called 10,000 Angels. He could have uttered a word, and they would have all dropped dead. He was and is the sovereign, almighty, all-powerful God. But he endured this beating for us, for sinners. Man, I wish I'd taken some. Thought I was better. Oh. Jesus Christ came sinners to save, 1 Timothy 1.15. And Pilate flogged him. Then we read John 19, 2, and the soldiers, the soldiers, soldiers are bored. This is their job. They want to have some fun. Oh, good, we have a victim. Oh, good, we have a subject. This will brighten up our boredom. They got all creative in their torturing, like a cat with a mouse. We're going to play with it, have some fun. And so somebody got the idea, and so they all went with it. Let's, let's make a crown of thorns. He's claiming to be the king of Israel. Let's make him king. They're mocking him. Let's make a crown, but make it of thorns and shove it down onto his head. And they did. They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe, purple, which was an expensive color, purple, which was the cover color of royalty, of kings and authorities, and let's mock him and make this crown of thorns and shove it down in his head. Let's mock him and put purple, a purple robe on him, king of the Jews. This they did to our Savior, the Son of God. And John 19, 3, they, they came up to him saying, and they're mocking him, Hail, king of the Jews! Ha, ha, ha! They're laughing. And they struck him with their hands. It's our Savior, the Lord Jesus, mocking and striking him with their hands. More mocking and more beating. Well, did the prophet Isaiah write of this, write of him seven year, 700 years before this day, Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53, 3. John 19, 4. Pilate 
went out again. So you're going to see in the narrative tonight that Pilate is in with Jesus, then he goes out and talks to the crowd and the Jewish authorities. Then he's back in with Jesus, then he goes back out. So now he's going back out. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. This is actually the second time Pilate said that. There will be a third time. I find no guilt in him. The father found no guilt in him. And here Pilate, here at least Pilate was with the father. I find no guilt in him. This is terrible. I find no guilt in him. And that's because there was no guilt in him. He was the sinless son of God. He was the spotless lamb of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the power of the Almighty overshadowing her. Jesus Christ, God the Son, always kept the Father's commands, always and only did those things that pleased the Father, always did the Father's holy will. Pilate knew better than the blind Jewish leaders who should have been leading the nation to Jesus Christ. I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. No guilt. There was no guilt in our Savior. That's why he was able to be a sinless substitute for sinners. That's why he was able to stand in our stead and all the sins of all his people were laid upon him and he bore them in his own body on the tree. And his righteousness, his his holiness, his law-keeping was reckoned to us, was imputed to us, that in Christ we might be holy and unblameable and unreprovable in the sight of the Father. Pilate knows better than the Jewish leaders. I, I find no guilt in him. Then John 19, 5 and 6. So Jesus came out. So Jesus has been in. Pilate's been in and out. Now Jesus came out. Pilate brings him out to the people. Wearing the crown of thorns and their purple robe. Imagine the, the humiliation suffered by our Savior. They're mocking him with the crown of thorns. They're mocking him with the robe of purple. You think he's your king. And Jesus suffered the mocking and suffered the scorn. And he came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. How would you feel? And you're not the son of God. How would you feel? If you had to come out in public in Bel Air in front of the courthouse wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe and everybody's mocking you. But he was the son of God. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. That's mocking. It's like he might have pointed at him, might have held his arm over toward him. Behold the man. This is the man you're all worried about. This is the man you're all upset about. This is the man you're pressuring me to kill. This man, look at him. Look how weak he is. Look how beggarly he is. Look how foolish he is in his crown of thorns and his purple robe. Behold the man. And when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him for second time or third time maybe. I find no guilt in him. By the way, the, the pronouns are emphatic. Take him yourselves. You take him for I find no guilt in him. 
Pilate's got more wisdom than the leaders of Israel. Pilate speaks truth when the leaders of Israel do not. Behold the man mocking the Jews and mocking Jesus. And the chief priests crucify him, crucify him. The very people who should have awaited the Messiah and anticipated the Messiah and recognized the Messiah and called the nation to the Messiah and pointed everybody to the Messiah, the people who were the watchmen on the wall, the ones who should have called the nation, he's here. Let's love him and follow him and worship him. Jesus Christ is our king. They didn't know God. They didn't love God. They didn't love Christ. Pilate says, you take him, crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The pagan ruler speaks the truth. Pilate goes back inside with Jesus. Back in the headquarters, John 19, 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Do you ever ask people that question? I kind of, I don't, not in those words, but I asked people that question every Sunday in this building at Cornerstone Church because I'm meeting new people every Sunday, people I've never met before. And I say, you born and raised around here? That's how I put it. You born and raised around here? And then, oh, no, I'm from Philadelphia. Oh, no, I'm from Wisconsin or wherever it is. And Pilate is kind of mystified by Jesus. Like, I don't get you. The way you're acting, what's going on? Where are you even from? Jesus could have answered him, I'm, I'm from the right hand of the Father. I'm from eternity. I'm from heaven. I'm from above and you are from below. But we read, but Jesus gave him no answer. Isaiah talked about this, but way back 700 years before in Isaiah 53. Here it is, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus, the king of the universe, gave Pilate a ruler of Rome, no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Don't you know I have authority? Don't you, don't you know who, in whose presence you're, you're standing? Don't you know who you're dealing with? Do I have to explain to you who I am? I'm Pontius Pilate. I've got power. I've got authority. I can release you. I can have them crucify you. I love verse 11. In this whole story, I love verse 11. Because Jesus wants to make him know and everybody know, and he wants to let us know that no one had authority over him but the Father, that he voluntarily laid down his life for his people. And Jesus said, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority, no, you would have no authority over me at all unless 
It had been given you from above. God is sovereign over earthly rulers. He raises up kings. He puts down kings. Pilate, the only reason you have the authority you do is because my father gave it to you. He can take it away. You have none unless it was given. It was given to you. It was given to you. Pilate probably thought, given to me? I earned this, man. I worked hard. Yeah, you don't realize. He gave you the opportunities. He gave you the gifts. He opened doors when they could have been closed. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you, probably a reference to Judas, has the greater sin. Indeed, Judas. So Jesus is saying, let's clarify what's really going on here. You do have authority. You do have much authority. You do have great authority only because my Father in heaven gave it to you. He himself, God the Son, gave it to Pilate. So what Jesus is saying, what he's teaching us is things are not out of control here. God's not up in the heavens wringing his hands. Oh no, what are they doing to my son? I never foresaw this. I never intended this. I didn't know it was going to go this way. No, God the Father, maybe he's speaking to Gabriel, and he says, Gabriel, this is exactly what I, you didn't notice, you're learning, aren't you? Angels long to look into these things, and this is exactly what I planned from all eternity past. Jesus has already taught this. He's already prepared his disciples that maybe they're remembering right now that Jesus already said these things. Back in John 10, verses 17 and 18, he said, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Pilate, you didn't take it, I lay it down. Rome, you didn't take it, I lay it down. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I'm gonna raise rise from the dead, and I'm going to raise myself. Sometimes it says the Father raised him, and sometimes it says he raised himself. And here it says he raised himself. Jesus is clarifying for us, I'm in full authority here. I'm in full power here. This is what I intended. This is what I am working. It's not the earthly powers overcoming God's power or heavenly powers. No. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So on that Friday night, God the Father was in control. His plan was working. On that Friday night, God the Son was in control, and God the Spirit was empowering, and their plan was working. D.A. Carson, a great Christian um, theologian writes in his commentary on the Gospel of John at this point, even the worst evil cannot escape the boundaries of God's sovereignty. I'm going to read that to you again. Even the worst evil, what's the worst evil ever? They're going to crucify the Lord of glory. Is there any greater evil than that ever? Even the worst evil cannot escape the boundaries of God's sovereignty. Pilate did not take Jesus' life. The Roman soldiers did not take Jesus' life. Even the cross did not take Jesus' life. Jesus took Jesus' life. 
God the Father took Jesus' life. Peter preached about this in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Nonetheless, God uses means, and what were the means? You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, the Romans. God is in it, Romans 8, 28. God is up to something, and God is up to something good. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So Jesus puts Pilate in his place. Pilate probably doesn't get it. He still thinks he's in power, he's in authority, he's blind. Back to John 19, John 19, 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Pilate didn't want to kill Jesus, though. All the way through the story, he didn't want to kill Jesus. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, and now they're going to do a power play on Pilate, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And Pilate's probably rolling his eyes. He's like, oh, man, now they're bringing Caesar into it. Now I'm going to get in trouble. Now my job's on the line. Now my authority. Now my power. Now my riches. Now my money are on the line. Oh, man, they're going to go to Caesar with this thing. This was their best angle, and they were wily, and they were clever, to, to try and manipulate Pilate into a sentence of death. Caesar! And again, Pilate's like, oh, boy, now they're going to take it to my boss. Verse 13, so when Pilate heard these words, see, they've got him in an arm bar. They've got him in a rear naked choke. He's in trouble. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, and now it gets serious, friends, and sat down on the judgment seat. This is time for official business. Pilate is resolved. All right, I got to get serious. I got to sit in my place where I decree the law and decree what's going to happen. This is official. A judgment will be rendered at a place called the Stone Pavement. And in Aramaic, it is called Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. They didn't have Timex watches on their wrists, so it was about. Everybody's judging. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king, mocking them more than he's mocking Jesus. And they, again, they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, mocking them, shall I crucify your king? He's taunting them. And the chief priests answered, and oh, these words. We have no king but Caesar. They will answer for those words at the last day, my friends. Every word uttered will be recounted in the judgment of the last day. We have no king but Caesar. True, if God the Father had been their king, God the Son would have been their savior. 
would have been their love, would have been their joy, would have been their delight. But they had no heart for the Father, and so they had no heart for the Son, no heart for God. They loved Caesar. They were more loyal to Caesar than they were to, to God. Verse 16a, so he delivered. He's in the seat. He's on the stone pavement. He's in Gabbatha. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Pilate gives in. All right, I can't stop you people. You're going to take me to my boss. I'll be in trouble. You got me in the arm bar. He's tapping out. Go ahead, kill him. And this is how Pilate delivered up the Son of God. But again, it was really the Father, and it was really Jesus Christ, God the Son, because it was for this purpose that he came. He had to hang on that cross and die to atone for sin. Thank God he did. The worst thing that ever happened was the best thing that ever happened in the wisdom of God. Now, a verse, it's just four words in English and they deserve to stand alone on a slide. John 19, 16b, so they took Jesus. Roman soldiers whose hands were made by Jesus whose lives were sustained by Jesus, took Jesus, and so doing, they're simply doing the will of God, planned and ordained before the worlds were made. And now, having been handed over, and now having been delivered, now it's time for the horrific beating. We know from Roman history, at this point, once you're delivered up to be crucified, before you're crucified, they really beat you. So now it goes from the bad one to the badder, and now it goes to the horrific. Jesus, we believe, would have been stripped naked, tied arms around a pole, and two stout soldiers, each with a big whip, each whip with multiple tails, the tails laced with sharp, cutting bits of bone and metal, and stout Roman soldiers took those whips and beat him and beat him and beat him for a long time. And those bits of bone and metal ripped deep into his flesh and, and bone would have been exposed and entrails would be hanging out because they're ripping your flesh apart and what's inside is coming out and is showing. This is what they did to our Savior Jesus Christ. He could have said a word. But he endured this for sinners, that we might be saved by grace through faith in Christ. And then after the horrific beating, verse 17, John 20, 17, 19, 17, pardon me, and he went out bearing his own cross. We know that because of the beating, he is so weakened that soon they'll notice he can't quite bear his own cross, and they enlist another guy, help him bear that cross, and it's a tag team. Together they bear that cross. But at this point, early on, he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Don't we love that word? Don't we love that place, the place of a skull, 
Golgotha. And now verse 18, there they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Pilate is still mocking the Jews. Not so much Jesus. He believed Jesus was a victim. He believed Jesus was innocent. I don't see any guilty any guilt of any crime in him, but he's mocking the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, where's Nazareth? Can any good thing come from Nazareth? What's the name of some nowhere town and some nowhere place? That's what Nazareth was. You're king from Nazareth, you foolish people. And they crucified him. Now, you probably know, you've heard this before, but let's talk about it. When you were crucified, generally, usually, you died of suffocation. So, they drove nails through your feet. That didn't kill you. And they drove nails through your wrists, probably, though it says hands. That, but that didn't kill you. You can sustain that and live quite a while unless you somehow slowly bleed out. But what killed you was then they, they hung you on this cross and for every breath, to take a breath because of what it's doing to your body, you had to push up with your legs and pull up with your arms. So you're doing like leg squats and pull-ups for every single breath. And the idea is you might do that for three days and then finally you can't push up anymore and you can't pull up anymore and you stop breathing and you die. But of course we know that in the case of Jesus, because it was the day of preparation, because it was the eve before the Sabbath, they wanted him dead then, not three days. And so they also brought out the spear and they speared him in the side. To, Let's make him bleed out quickly. Let's pierce his heart if we can. But while he's there struggling for every breath, there's more. We're going to switch over to Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verses 29 to 32. And here's what was going on before him. By the way, in the Old Testament, one of the Psalms, you see the cross from the eyeballs of Jesus and what he was seeing out there as they did these things. But here's what they did, Mark 15, 29. And those who passed by derided him. The son of glory on the cross a king of the universe, Christ of the cosmos, and they're making fun of him, deriding him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. They're standing there in front of him, making fun of him and mocking him and scorning him and shaking their heads at him. All this he endured for sinners. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, they're standing there in front of him, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. 
Those who were crucified with him, his right and his left, also reviled him, though we know one of them soon comes to saving faith. Lord, remember me in your kingdom. You don't need a specific exact formula of words to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You need a heart and a soul for the Savior. And those were his words. That was his sinner's prayer. It was a good one. Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day, in fact, guess what? You'll be in paradise with me. That sinner's going from a cross to paradise, which is not a bad trade. And as he hung and gasped for air, they mocked him. And it is in this time that all our sins were placed upon him. Mark, uh, Mark informs us in Mark 15, 33, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. What was that? Why did God do that? The Bible doesn't say. We're guessing. We're imagining. It's a pretty good guess. It's like the sinless Son of God cannot die on a cross without creation accentuating the event. Some things are going to happen in creation, in the world, in the universe. And there's going to be darkness over the whole land from the sixth to the ninth hour. And Mark also tells us that at that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Some people have done the calculations. I don't know whether they're right. No one knows. But they calculate that there would have actually been priests in there ministering at that time. And while they're ministering, all of a sudden, the sound of ripping canvas, if you will, they look and go, whoa, what was that? Maybe these are some of the priests who soon believed on the Lord Jesus and were saved. And Matthew reports that the earth shook and the rocks split and that broke tombs open. It was fitting that creation itself accentuated the horror, the wonder, and the glory of what had just occurred. And Isaiah wrote, Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Give me a moment, because I don't know why, but I didn't print page six. And Isaiah wrote, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What happened while Jesus was on that cross? All the sins of all the people who would ever turn to the Lord Jesus were laid upon him, and he bore them in his own body on the tree. He, he, he paid a penalty sufficient for all the sins of all the people who would ever live. It's only reckoned to those who are believers, his payment. All the sins of his people were reckoned to him, that his righteousness might be reckoned to them when they come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, that's you, that's me, that's every one of us, to his own way. There's the fundamental problem with humans. Instead of going God's way, we go our way. I want to go my way. I want to live my way. 
I don't want some God telling me what to do. I don't want some God reigning over me. I want my way. And when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you repent, which means you turn from your way to his way, that for the first time ever, God, the living God of the universe, may be God to you, and you bow before him and seek to follow him by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Back to John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, what was finished? Redemption was finished. Salvation was accomplished. The pardon for our iniquities was purchased. The release of slaves, that's us, was procured. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar of sour, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. It's one Greek word. Tetelestai. It has been completed. What? Redemption. Sacrifice of the Son for sinners. The whole reason why Jesus came, I've come to save sinners. It is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up. They didn't take from him. He gave up. It wasn't three days breathing, and now he's finally out of energy and dies. No, he gave up his spirit because redemption had been accomplished. Atonement had been completed. The Father's wrath was satisfied. And Isaiah writes, Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Slide, man, I'm going to skip a few because I'm in the negatives on the time clock. (laughs) Back to John 19. After these things, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, John chapter 3, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there, John 19, 38 to 42, Isaiah 53, 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So it's Friday night and Jesus lays in the tomb and the Pharisees are happy. (laughs) Finally, Got done with that one. And the devil was rejoicing. And disciples are disillusioned. And everything is quiet. And everyone goes home. And for tonight, that is the end of the story. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, thank you for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that he was willing to offer himself as the Lamb of God, that through his shed blood we might be redeemed. We come to you in Jesus' name with all our hearts and all our praise. And we pray that people here tonight might turn from their way to your way and might finally believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Stan. Good evening, and thank you, Steve, for taking us through what happened that Friday night. And we got to see the wickedness of man on display. And there was darkness in the world on that day.